Welcome to this Girl Life podcast. We're your hosts, Whitney Kleiner and Kristen Kavan, best friends who understand the power of friendship, good conversations, and the realness of creating your best life. Each week, you can find us here having real, raw, unfiltered conversations that you want to have with your best friends. It's everything you need to know to master this girl life. Let's get it started. All right, we are back with an all new episode. It's Whitney. And Kristen, and it is episode 23. 23. Guys, we're just soaring through our <laughs> 20s like we soared through our 20s in real life. They were effing great. They were, and these are just as good. I'm so I excited know. about all of our upcoming episodes. I'm too. I'm really pumped, and I'm glad everyone is back. We hope you're having a fabulous Tuesday because it's a holiday weekend here in the States. So It's, it's officially September. I know. Fall is here. The pumpkin spice latte is in the air. And, you know. Get ready. It's a, it's a brisk 101 degrees in Denver today. So. Oh, my gosh. That's oh. Arizona style. You know, dying. Um, Get ready. I was thinking about it today as I was on Instagram. I was like, oh, my gosh. Even though I am like a quote unquote blogger, um, get ready for like all the I'm falling in love and like all the captions like and all the flannel scarves yeah like falls here and the pumpkin spice latte that they drank like 30 minutes ago that's totally that's empty. empty yeah <laughs> guilty as charged i know but guilty. i'm excited it's fall summer is over so it's gonna be a- i was telling adam last night i feel like god plans seasons perfectly yeah Like, Uh, you're so excited for summer, and then you're so excited for fall, and then you're really excited for, like, it's just perfect. I know. Like, I'm pumped. Good job, God. (laughs) I'm really excited for today's episode because we had such a cool, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We had a lot of great responses from our other episode that touched on this. Yeah, we had a lot of people wanting to talk about this issue. Yeah, and a lot of people are still listening to that. It was our second episode we ever recorded, which we were such babies now looking back. But (laughs) we had such amazing responses. And so we did our due diligence to try to get an expert in the field to talk to you guys about it. Um, We're talking about infertility and we're talking about all of the stuff that comes with it and tips and nuggets that can help you guys. And it's it's such a cool episode and she's awesome. I know. And I, again butcher her name every time like dr ibrahim i know but i i'll (laughs) let Kristen say it um you know it is a special thing um to be a woman it is as i'm like trying to get pregnant i'm like god i'm so awesome like my body my body's so good that i can carry a nugget like that but dr ibrahim is talking to us not only about infertility but also what we can do for our listeners who are in their 20s or, you know, 30s wanting and to start thinking about having a baby, like stuff you can do to just kind of get your body ready. So I love that aspect because I'm all about preventative health care. As a nurse, it's like, give me all the preventative health care. Yeah. And she just does a great job of laying it out. And yeah, she awesome. does. You guys will just love her just as much as we did, of course, like all of our other guests. But before we get there, we have to do the best segment of the day, Yay and Nay with Wit and Kay. It's Yay and Nay with Wit and Kay. Oh, shit. Okay. 
So let's dive right in to your yay from the weekend. Send it. Okay. This is like my yay for TGL totally. Okay. So without giving away too much stuff, Whitney and I have been working really hard on getting amazing guests because that is our goal for you guys. And we just secured a bachelor slash bachelorette lead. I'm not going to tell you who it is because we want you guys to stay tuned and we're really excited about it. But we will be recording with a pretty huge and pretty recent bachelor bachelorette lead. Like Kristen almost shit her (laughs) pants. (laughs) Guys. We both were like, no way. It is so cool. It's such a yay for like us. It's such a yay for TGL. It's such a yay for our listeners. So I'm super dang excited because he or she will be on the podcast in October. Yes. So they're just so cool. We had to secure in October, but we're excited. That's a really great name. I'm glad you said that as our yay. Yay. All right. What's the yay? Okay. My yay. I was trying to think on this because I was like, I f- always feel like I have more nays. And then I'm like, don't be a negative Nancy, Whitney. You got to be positive. <laughs> so You're the one who came up with this segment. I know. So you need to get on your yays. <laughs> I do. I need to be more positive. So um, my yay is that my kid is starting preschool tomorrow. And that, yeah. And so mama gets two days a week to herself. (laughs) Yeah. Is she going full day? She's going full day. Holy smokes. Bye. Yeah. Well, with school, it's crazy. So I need her to like be on her own. And so I'm excited for her. She's she's such a busybody. So Miss B, you will um, see her in preschool. And this, obviously, this episode is coming out. Oh, and I guess it's coming out tomorrow. So you can look at my Instagram stories. You're going to see we bought her a new outfit. She was, oh my gosh. She picked it out. Yeah. Oh, so, I can't wait to I know. see it. She's so old. She is so old. That's crazy. Right? And she her legs are so long. I'm like, girl, you got your mama's legs. So <laughs> we had to buy her. Like, she fits in 3T, but we had to buy her 4T. Anyways, okay. So what is your nay? Okay, my nay this is a Debbie because it's kind of like a half nay and a half not. So football officially starts on Thursday. Yeah. And like, I love my Denver Broncos, but I don't need to watch football starting Thursday night to Monday night. Like my husband would love to do. Preach. Like if it, if it were up to Adam, he would not work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and just sit and watch NFL, college, college, NFL, college, NFL. I mean, guys. Yeah. There are days that he has his boyfriends over and they watch football at our house and they have like three TVs set up in our family room. They all line up iPads to have all the different games. Like, so yeah, I love football, but it is a huge nay because I like joke that I lose my husband for like the next few months. Oh my gosh. See, my husband's not that bad. He's kind of a hermit. So like he just does it by himself. But literally Adam reminds me of my brother-in-law, Dave Zabalinski. In Omaha, you can check him out on the news. Um, <laughs> but he has his whole basement. Like, I can't tell you how many TVs he has across his basement. And they, like, hang them on the walls. It's literally, like, a man cave. And it's just like, okay, bye. See you in, like, four months. Yeah, I need a she shed so that I can just have, like, 
Bravo, 90210. Yes. One Tree Hill, Sex in the City, Friends. That would be so much drama and sadness in one room. You'd be like. <laughs> but like the cool like thing crying. would be with like Friends, you would always have it on mute because you know what's happening at all times. Right. One Tree Hill, you could, if you could cut out all the voices and just have the music. <laughs> oh. We should just one episode talk about all the amazing One Tree Hill episodes. And can oh. we also just talk about how Kristen tagged me in a One Tree Hill <laughs> post every time she tags me in these like reunions but they're in North Carolina I'm like we can't go all the way across the world to North Carolina and a lot of the times Chad Michael Murray likes my comment he has done that like three times now listen Chad we're basically best friends so, so come on TGL let's have our first male guest be Chad It'd Michael be- Murray deal let's we're putting it out there we're putting speaking it into existence and it's gonna happen manifest that shit yeah we are. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to try, guys. Okay, my name. Get ready for my name. Okay. I have a lot of nays um, living in California because I'm just not from California, so it's just different. Today we're- Keep in mind, she's been in California now for two days <laughs> after being in Arizona for the last two weeks. <laughs> okay, so I come back to California, and I'm like, we're at this center with like a Target and a Ralph's and a Dick's Sporting Good. And we're walking because our car, we decided to walk the center. And so we finally went to Ralph's and we were like, oh, we need to walk our cart down like three different stores. They have sensors on their carts. So they so, stop working? No, as we're walking. <laughs> Guys, we're walking and all of a sudden I like almost fall on my butt because I trip like trip over and Kayla and I are like why won't this cart move <laughs> we were like trying to drag the cart I'm like what the f and it's because people steal stuff here or use it for their own purpose I'm like where are we when did a grocery cart become like a, a fashionable <laughs> yeah fashionable tool to have all right. I can just see you trying to like jerk this cart over. The- <laughs> and then, as my husband's like, well, I'll just go to the car, grab the bags, like, I'll meet you right here. Well, I'm like trying to drag it back because I'm like, oh, maybe the sensor will go off. Some guy walks by and I'm just like, it got stuck. Like, can't move it. I mean, I look like an idiot. So, and I'm sure he's like, well, I'm from California, so I know that there's sensors on the cart. I'm like, in the meantime, Blakely's like, Mommy, Mommy, why why won't the cart move? Yeah, she was like, Mom, did you step on the brake? And I was like, no. Yeah. I was like, no, that's California law, putting a brake on it or oh something. Oh, my God. That's my name. That's just an annoying annoyance for sure. Yeah. Anyways, oh, by the way, I should have taken a photo because literally it was like carts died. It was like a graveyard of carts. <laughs> so... And it was like, You're not the first one. That's a good sign. 20 target carts were around us. Anyways, that's my name. That's a, that's a good name. That's yeah. an annoying name. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Okay, guys, are you ready for today's guest? Her name, I was like waiting for a response. Did you hear that? Oh, I was yeah. like, where's, okay. the, where's the round of applause? <laughs> I can add it in. Please do. <laughs> right, say it again. Okay, guys, are you ready for our guest today? Okay, her name is Dr. I'm going to butcher her first name. It's Yetund Ibrahim. She is, she just is starting her first day at CCRM, which is the center, Colorado Center for uh, CC, uh, Reproductive 
medicine. And they are just kind of leading the way in fertility and all of this. And she's amazing. She is an expert. Um, a cool thing you'll see that her and Whitney actually have a little bond. Um, they were at the same hospital when she was, Whitney was in nursing school. So that was pretty cool. So she's amazing. Get excited, get ready. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today's guest is really impressive. She is so impressive. You guys are going to love her as much as Whitney and I already do. She is Dr. Ibrahim, and she is a master in all things fertility. I mean, guys, wait until you hear her resume. I can't wait to tell you all the things that she has done. But welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you on This Girl Life and have you share your knowledge with our listeners today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so pumped just because personally I'm going through it. So I was like, let's do it. Let's share a little bit more knowledge with with everyone because we've had, um, as we told you earlier, we had Aaron from A Wink of a Twirl on and that's our most listened to podcast. I think infertility is touching many more people than we would think. So we want to just bring you on and and hash some things out. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely go right let's get right into it yeah so can you introduce yourself to our tgl community absolutely um my name is Etienne ibrahim um and as they mentioned i'm a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility um specialist um i actually just completed my fellowship and i'm so excited to be joining the ccrm team in dallas fort worth cool awesome i love the dallas area that's awesome it's cool. Before you jump fully in, um, Whitney is a nurse oh, and great. she actually did a lot of her stuff in Utah and we were doing a little research on you. And so you guys have that connection, which is so yeah. cool. That's I, awesome. I did all my rotations at the University of Utah. Oh, great. Yeah. That's why I did my fellowship. I just moved from Utah oh, two did? months ago. Oh. I just moved from Utah two months ago. Yeah. So I'm new to Dallas, Fort Worth. <laughs> so that's great. I'm glad we have that connection. Yeah. Utah is a lovely near and dear to my heart yeah it's a great little it's a great place to whatever you know they have great medicine the university of utah was amazing so yeah that's right so what um we kind of want to start off with just some basic questions like a lot of us are just getting married we're maybe later in our 30s and we're thinking about having kids you know in the future what can women do if they're thinking about having kids to kind of prepare their vessel um, <laughs> that beautiful body, um, just for when they're ready to have kids. So I think that's a very interesting question and touches a lot on preconception counseling. Um, I think it's important for women to actually understand this whole concept of ovarian aging as well. Um, which is that a woman is born with the maximum number of eggs that she's ever going to have. And the decline actually already starts from when the woman is still in her mother's womb. Uh-huh. That's already happening. Wow. I'm not to be an alarmist in any shape, way, or form, but usually the maximum number of eggs you have, you have when you're sometime between 16 weeks and 20 weeks inside your mother's womb. So by the time a woman is born, that number is already down to one to two million. By the time you actually experience your first period, that number is down to 400 to 500,000, give or take the woman. So it turns out that the woman in a reproductive window actually only ovulates about 300 to 400 eggs, of which those are the ones that are potentials to become a baby. So 
you have this reproductive window that starts from when a woman starts puberty up until when she goes through menopause, which can be very variable from woman to woman. So this is something that I recognized while I was in my training was not common knowledge to a lot of women. And it turns out that your ovary ages faster than your physical body. <laughs> right? Right. Wow. Right, such that when a woman reaches the age of 35, she's already considered advanced to maternal age. So I'm not trying to be an alarmist when I say this, but I think it's worthwhile that even when a woman is younger in her late 20s, to just bring that up, advocate for yourself, talk to your OBGYN, talk about a reproductive plan. Like, this, these are my plans for the future. You know, what can I do to optimize those chances? Which is getting to the meat of your question. There are some things that you can do to optimize your fertility. So one of the big ones is body weight. So extremes of body weight are not good for fertility. So a BMI above 35 increases the chances of infertility by up to two to three folds. A BMI under 19 actually increases the chances of infertility by as high as four folds compared to normal. Just because it turns out you require a lot of energy and you require some body weight in order to be able to carry a pregnancy from beginning to the end. So those are, that's definitely one thing that a woman can work on to just keep herself at a normal body weight. So we don't want people to be aggressively losing weight because it turns out that that's the worst thing to do actually. There are also some lifestyle choices, obviously. Cigarette smoking is a no-no. Remember I talked about that ovarian aging where your eggs are going down like that? It turns out that smoking speeds up that process. So you know, studies have shown that women that smoke compared to women that do not smoke go through menopause one to four years earlier. So it has something to do with making that process of losing the eggs more rapid than nature intended for it to be. Yeah. Other things like alcohol, you know, limiting, moderate intake is fine, but not more than two drinks per day. Um, and then other, you know, drugs and toxins that people obviously have to think about as well too in terms of optimizing their chances. And just like I mentioned, always talk to your OBGYN, talk about a reproductive plan, advocate for yourself, um, just, you know, come up with a plan because like I said, the ovary does have <laughs> a clock. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I think it's hard because at least for me, like you're worried about getting pregnant when you're 20, you know, like, so you do all this stuff to like, I don't want to get pregnant. I don't want to get pregnant. And then you decide at 30 and it seems, it seems so hard and so daunting. And Whitney and I have, like we mentioned earlier, like have both dealt with that. And it's just like this crazy dynamic of in our early twenties, I wasn't even thinking about talking to my OB about getting pregnant in the future. That wasn't even a conversation because I was so... I don't want to get pregnant, so I'm not even going to have the conversation. But I think what you're bringing up, it's okay to have that conversation to plan for 10 years in the future. And it's so important to do that instead of being afraid of it. Like, I kind of feel like I was, you know? That's totally fine. And, you know, it's a trend that we've seen over the years in the sense mm -hmm. that women are waiting later to get pregnant. There's nothing wrong with that. More often than not, they're doing it for very legitimate reasons because of careers, things that they're passionate about. Nobody, I don't want to put a stop to that. I think that's all great for women empowerment, but it's important to have that conversation and just ask yourself, is this something that I want in my future? What can I potentially do just to get enough information so that I'm not hurting down the line because it seems like something so difficult to accomplish at this point in life. Right. right. Knowledge is definitely power. I think that that's a beautiful tip that we should yeah. be preparing 
talking about it and it and you just kind of put a little if my husband heard your first tip about because I struggle with weight being underweight um and so the fact like I don't even want to tell him that you just (laughs) because he'll be like girl I told you when you got pregnant with our first kid you were 10 pounds heavier I'm now I just I told I just gained 10 pounds but I'm still 10 pounds heavier than when you know I got pregnant but anyway so now I think I'm gonna have to go back and re- evaluate my life <laughs> oh my no no I mean this weight is one of the hardest things to deal with I struggle with with myself you know it's and sometimes it's really hard when you're put in that position to talk about weight and how to maintain a normal body weight especially when you yourself are struggling with it as a provider yeah <laughs> but it's something that a lot of people struggle with and I think being mindful about the weights presented and you know how how we counsel people in terms of nutrition has to be very sensitive because it is a very sensitive topic but whatever we can do to keep ourselves in that normal body weight you know goes a long way in terms of um, optimizing fertility for sure have I wanted to ask you specifically um, I have heard of a company called modern fertility which is encouraging women to use their blood kits to basically look at their blood work and their hormone levels, um, all the reproductive, you know, hormones earlier than later. So it's basically giving them the power and then they take those results and they can go to their doctor and look at them or um, there's like nurses they can talk to. What do you think about those type of companies um, just kind of giving the power back to the woman in her early 20s? So like it looks at egg reserve and all of that. What are your thoughts on that? That's right. Um, So, you know, those tests are looking at, um, it's sort of like a test of ovarian reserve, trying to figure out, you know, where you are, or I would say, how many eggs do you have compared to women of your age? It's probably the simpler way to put it. Now, it's information, but I look at it in two ways in the sense that, is this information that I can use in my own future or is this just information because I'm the type of person that just needs to know? So it depends on the individual. If you're the type of person who is in their 20s and just says, okay, I'm looking at this test and it's giving me a test of ovarian reserve and I just want to use this information because I just need to know where I stand compared to women of my age, that's okay because it gives you information. But recognize that that test may not affect anything in your future Recognizing that if you do not have infertility, that test doesn't predict your chances of conceiving naturally. So it's information, but you may not use it. Right. So it's really up to the individual and the reason why they are testing for it. So I I always leave it up like that because I can't tell you what to do for your own specific situation when it comes to those tests. But recognizing that, yes, while it might give me some information, what am I going to use that information for right now? And is this information even going to help me in the future or not even apply to me? Whitney and I are very different in that sense because she's a doctor and, or she's a nurse and I'm an attorney and she likes to know all of that body information where I'm the one that's like, I'm not ready. I don't want to know it. I'll go to my doctor when I'm ready. And she'll like, we're so different. And I love that you said like, because we are each of those people people (laughs) that you said, like she would go, she just wants the knowledge. She wants to know where she's at, where I'm the total opposite until I'm ready to use it and act on it. I'm like, 
I don't need to know it's okay. I'll just wait until someone tells me. (laughs) And and that's the great thing about this field that I'm in, in the sense that you have to be able to read the patient that you're working with Mm -hmm. to try to get a sense of what type of individual this is. This is somebody that I need to just draw in what the menstrual cycle looks like and when everything is going to happen at a specific time. Or is this somebody that's just searching for information and just trying to decide what am I going to use this information for? But I think at the end of the day, it all boils down to what it is that you want to use that test for and the type of individual that you are. Okay. Okay. So we're going to take a turn down maybe the sadder side of this conversation because it is, but we really want to talk about infertility. We want to talk about miscarriages. We've both had them and just kind of I would like to know from your perspective, like, what does infertility look like to you as a doctor? And like how I'm trying to get to like the just like the basic way to describe infertility, because I don't even know, like I've had a miscarriage. Does that mean that I deal with infertility issues like Whitney is trying to get pregnant? Like, what does that look like? And if you could just kind of like explain that better for me and for our listeners. Sure. And I think about those two things as completely different things. And they are completely different in our world. So infertility, you know, is actually dependent on age. We've actually separated it out based on age. So if a woman is under the age of 35 and she has been trying to conceive for 12 months or longer, that is when we diagnose a woman with infertility. Okay. If she's, oh. if she's over the age of 35, we shorten that to six months because of that old concept of ovarian age gen, which is we know becomes much more rapid after the age of 35. So after six months of unprotected intercourse and trying to conceive is when we would diagnose a woman with infertility. Now getting to your question about miscarriage, it turns out that, and as painful as this sound, it turns out, turns out that one miscarriage, one miscarriage occurs in about 15% of the population. It's actually a pretty common thing. And obviously we express our condolences because it's a really sad thing to go through, but it's so common that we don't evaluate beyond that for the one-time miscarriage. It becomes something else when a woman experiences a second clinical miscarriage. Then we start to evaluate further to try to understand why it is that you are experiencing more than one miscarriage. Because it turns out that that number drops from 15% for the first miscarriage to 5%. Oh, wow. Women will suffer two miscarriages. And then less than 1% of women will suffer three or more miscarriages. So we only really begin the evaluation when a woman has suffered for two clinical miscarriages because one miscarriage is common enough that we don't think that we need to evaluate further beyond that. And those typically, the most common reason why that happens is because of abnormalities in the numbers of chromosomes, which, you know, unfortunately it happens in as many people, like I said, 15%. So we we don't evaluate further after one miscarriage. Okay. Wow. I had no idea that so many people experience a miscarriage. I think it's just kind of come since my last mis- since my miscarriage. I think I'm kind of realizing how many people, but when you hear those numbers, you're like, "Oh my gosh. A lot of people are experiencing these." So, and really, I mean, when it's a chromosome issue, there's nothing. I know so many people, myself included, you're like, "What did I do?" "What did I do?" Is there anything that we can say to those girls like you know, what did, you know, to help them feel like you didn't do anything. You have no control over that. 
That's all I can say. You have no control over that. Um, It also, you know, there's some part of it that's ovarian aging related as well, too. But there's only so much you you don't control your age. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, recognizing that, you know, the chances are still pretty good um, after your first miscarriage that you would go on to have a live birth is Mm -hmm. something I tell patients. And I, I, you know, I don't I don't take away from the grief of that moment, but I do let them realize that it's sort of like nature's way of taking, you know, taking care of something that was not going to become a normal live birth. So taking care of a pregnancy that was not going to result in a normal baby. And it's common enough that if you ask people, you'll you'll find out that they've been through um, more people than you know have been through one miscarriage. Yeah. So do you think the reason that, and maybe it's just with social media and the advancement of that, people are talking about it so much more. So when I went through mine, I was really private, shared with my best friends, but then I put it out online and I just said, hey, I experienced this. And I had, I mean, hundreds of girls reach out and said they experienced the same thing. But then I was talking to the older generation, like my mom and my mother-in-law. And they were like, my mom had a couple, but my mother-in-law said that she didn't have any. And she was like, I could have because I wasn't finding out that I was pregnant back then until 8 to 12 weeks. So do you think our early detection of pregnancy is bringing this up more? Like, do you think that's why it just seems like it's happening more than it did back then because they didn't actually know that they were pregnant? Like where we know it three and four weeks. It is possible. I mean, I think definitely um, knowledge has improved over that period of time. So women are finding out earlier that they are pregnant. So that definitely contributes to it. But I think one thing that's also happening is that people are sharing more about this. And it's, you know, I think that's empowering. I think, you know, when somebody knows that you've gone through the same thing that they've gone through, then they bring it to the table. And it's sort of like a way to distress. So um, I think, yes, definitely the age of information has definitely moved up. We're finding out more about these things a little bit earlier. The technology has advanced way beyond when they were in their reproductive windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with infertility, let's dive into some of the maybe causes of infertility. I know right now I'm experiencing or I have PCOS, which is what they diagnose me with. And they say, well, this is why you're having infertility. What are some of the other clinical diagnoses you can you give to your patients for infertility? Sure. I mean, you know, you actually fall under the category that's the most common cause of female infertility, which is ovulation dysfunction, um, of which there are other things that fall under that too. So um, people that have thyroid disease can affect their ovulation. Um, (laughs) Me. (laughs) That's, I have Hashimoto's, so. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're probably on supplementation yeah. with levothyroxine. Um, and then there are also some other things that could also affect. So there, there are three things that really need to function properly for pregnancy to occur. So we touched on ovulation and that has to occur at a predictable rate in every woman, suggesting that you're releasing an egg at egg in every cycle. If that's not occurring all the time, then there are less chances for the egg to mate with the sperm. So thyroid disease falls under some of the things that can cause that. Another category would be some uterine factors. Um, So like people that have abnormalities, whether they were born with it in the the shape of their uterus or they acquired it, for example, fibroids or polyps um, in the uterus. Um, Those are things that we typically would evaluate for when we're evaluating a woman for infertility. Then we also have to talk about the tubes because that's that's the way that the egg and sperm meet. So if the tubes are not open, then there's no way 
um, that the egg and the sperm can meet or if the tubes are damaged. Some of the things that can cause that are a condition called endometriosis that could potentially put a woman at risk for forming scar tissue that can affect the motility of the tubes. Okay, and then also sexually transmitted infections can block off the tubes and prevent the egg and the sperm from meeting. Another thing I always ask women about are if they've had a prior big abdominal surgery, because just forming scar tissue from an abdominal surgery that potentially could get into the pelvis can affect the motility of the tubes. And of course, there's the male factor part, which we evaluate with a semen analysis to start with. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, lot, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. Yes. And we start with the basic and then we, we, we get a little bit more advanced if we can find a reason. But recognizing that in 20% of couples, we would not find a reason. So the quote unquote, those we call unexplained infertility. Wow. Man, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just blown away. Honestly, blown away. Um, what you've really touched on a lot Um the multiple failed embryo, embryo transfers. Like we said, we had um, we had a girlfriend who was on who has just gone through, I believe, her third um, transfer. So what can you tell us about, um, you know, going through these embryo transfers and what is your experience um, with multiple embryo? This is one of the most challenging things we face as reproductive endocrinologists, it's it's a very, very challenging um, diagnosis, especially those who get to that cusp of three, yeah. where we start to call it the recurrent implantation failure. Um, I think, you know, we have a, a way that we evaluate patients who present with this very challenging diagnosis, and we could talk about this for hours. Just because it's a very complex um, and challenging diagnosis, we try to figure out is it something with the embryo? I recently went for a talk earlier this year that where they talked about recurrent implantation failure. And the speaker started out by talking about the fate of human embryos. That is, what exactly ends up happening to human embryos? And it turns out that 30% of all human embryos actually are destined to never implant. Wow. Yes. When you looked at it, was, it, was, it blew my mind to, to see that those numbers were that high. And even when you then look at the ones that are normal, that is what we call euploid, having normal chromosome numbers, up to 40% of them may not implant, suggesting that it's not just an embryo factor. There must be something with that lining of the uterus as well, too, that could potentially contribute to that. Now, it's a well-known fact that we... we perform an embryo transfer at the, what we call the window of implantation, it is possible that some women might benefit from some testing to evaluate whether to shift that timing of implantation. The jury is still up in the air with that because there's still studies looking into that. But the basics really is to try to figure out when somebody has had a failed implantation, even after the first one, is was he an embryo factor or was it an endometrium factor? And then try to see what you can do to target treatment based on what factor was involved. 
Now, there will be some people that we would never find a reason why they're having this repeated implantation failure. And at some point, you just we just have to have that conversation about a gestational surrogate. And again, reading the individual and figuring out when it's time to bring that conversation into play. We're just talking about the evaluation that goes into recurrent implantation failure. It's a very long conversation and it's, you know, targeted towards those two main factors. Is it an embryo? Or is it the endometrium, which is the lining of the uterus where the embryo would implant? How often are you seeing, um, do you see quite a few patients that have failed embryo transfers? Or do you have the statistics on the success rate for? I can't put any numbers right now, um, but I think it's, I, I wouldn't say it is very rare. I think it comes up once in a while. Yeah. Uh, and there's a very broad definition of what recurrent implantation failure is. Um, some go as far as saying that the woman has to be under the age of 40, has to have had four implantation failure from three cycles where all the embryos were normal, while some define it as having just three embryo transfers without a clinical pregnancy. So based on those broad definitions, it's really hard for me to quote a number for you, but I would say it's rare, but not completely. It's not, it's not a zebra, essentially. Yeah. So what do you tell your patients that are going through this? I mean, when you sit down with someone who is struggling with this, Uh what words of encouragement that can you give your, what do you give your patients that you could give our listeners who might be suffering with this or dealing with this? What is, what do you tell them? I think, you know, one of the key things to always um, hold out for is hope. Um, And, you know, just provide some words of hope to the patient because it can be a very hopeless situation. Mm-hmm. And infertility patients, especially patients that have gone through this multiple failed IVF cycles or failed implantations, um, can sometimes start to feel despair. So I think it's 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 worthwhile to just provide some some sense of hope and also talk about other ways of family building. I mean, you can always, you know, segue into if this doesn't work the next time, if you're still willing to try a next time, we can consider this other options, for example, use of a gestational surrogate, um, or even, you know, talk about adoption. There are other ways for family building. Again, reading the individual and figuring out whether it's time to have that conversation. But I don't think we ever go wrong by providing hope to patients that face us. Yeah, I love that. I do too. And that is, it's very true going through it myself, I think it can um, it can bring a lot of anxiety. It can bring a lot of turmoil within your relationships. That's um, right. And I think what's funny is you just don't even think about it unless you're going through it. And That's right. So I love that we talked about what you can do at the very beginning in your twenties, just by preparing yourself um, if you want a baby. Like, just start preparing. Like, that's my tip. If I could go back for myself, I think it would be, hey, you really never had periods. That might be a problem. Like, That's right. And, you know, that was that was the getting to the menstrual cycle conversation, being able to identify, are my periods regular? It's a big piece of the puzzle, you know? It has to be something that you should be able to predict when your next period is going to come. Um, as a woman, it's just a way. It's just a way to know if something is something is wrong that needs to be evaluated sooner. Because I would I would argue, and you know I think most of the professionals will argue that 
if you're not having regular periods, you don't have to fit that definition of waiting 12 months of trying if you're under 35. If something is not work, if something is not right with your menstrual cycle, you should seek help sooner because it's suggesting that you're probably not ovulating consistently. So segueing into, how do you feel about girls who constantly take the pill to stop their period? Constantly take the pills to stop their period. I don't have a problem with it um, because, you know, the the evidence we have so far suggests that those pills do not affect their fertility when they stop it. So if they're on the pills for very good reasons, which is mostly contraception, by all means, they can stay on the pills until they're ready to get pregnant. And recognizing, recognizing that that decline that I'm talking about is not affected. I mean, the pills don't stop it. Continues. Right. Because right. it's throughout a woman's lifespan. And that's one thing that I know that, you know, I think is people are understanding now that birth control pills do not prolong your reproductive window. That egg loss is still occurring regardless of whether you're on birth control or not. So I think you just like <laughs> myth you myth busted a lot of people because I think <laughs> in our age, that is something that's become a topic of conversation is people are like, you know, I've been on the pill since I was 18 and now I can't get pregnant. It has some, it, they're correlating it to the pill instead of correlating it to the fact that they're now 32, 3, 4, 5 and that's trying right. to get pregnant. That's are there right. any other myths out there that you could bust for us today? I don't put you on the spot. Oh, but. I think I think that's one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, so yeah, I think one of the big it, the big one is that you know that decline in the egg numbers is it's happening. Even some people, I think I've heard some people say that pregnancy protects against that. No, that's <laughs> not true. It's a it's occurring while you're pregnant or not because we have to remember that the follicles are in different stages of development, and at every stage there is some attrition those numbers are dropping. Um, so regardless of birth control, regardless, regardless of pregnancy, that ovarian aging process is happening. It's, it's faster than your physical aging. <laughs> I think I know the next answer to the question we're going to ask because I feel like it's kind of your passion is ovarian aging. But if our listeners could take away one key takeaway from today's conversation, <laughs> what would that be? Yes, that it will be that. It will be that because I think that's the most empowering piece of information here, which is that, you know, you're born with the maximum number of eggs you're ever going to have. That attrition is taking place. Again, I always mention I don't want to be an alarmist, but it's just a way to empower yourself with knowledge. Just talk about it with your OBGYN. These are my plans for the future. You know, what this is my reproductive plan. Do you think this is feasible? What can I do to get more information? Always think there's nothing wrong with staying informed about this process because it's important, especially if you, it's important to you to have children. So if we love that. Oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, I go. just wanted to ask really quick because with ovarian aging, so how, well, how do you feel about um, like saving your eggs? What is that called? Freezing your eggs. Would that be something like an option for people to help with this ovarian aging process? I think it's something to talk about. Like if a woman really has a legitimate reason where, um, cause it can serve like an insurance. Like if they want to talk about it, talk about it with your providers, potentially freezing it for multiple reasons. I mean, I can think of medical reasons where a woman could potentially freeze her eggs. For example, there's the situations where patients are diagnosed with cancer and they have to go through chemotherapy now, we know that chemotherapy is toxic to the ovaries and the eggs. 
So these are situations, legitimate medical reasons why a patient should consider egg cryopreservation if they don't have a partner, especially before they go through something that could actually damage or limit the number of eggs that they have and can potentially put them in menopause. Um, the other process is, you know, if people just want to consider it as a form of insurance, such that in the future, in case they had problems getting pregnant, when they do eventually want to try, they have, you know, some eggs frozen. They could always go back to that. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, as of right now, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine still doesn't recommend egg freezing to circumvent the natural aging process. And that's, I think that's mainly because we just don't have enough data of how well people would do in the future with those eggs that are frozen. And we're still gathering a lot of information as of right now, but we are talking about it because we do recognize that there's a trend where women are waiting till later to get pregnant. And not, it doesn't hurt for you to just go talk to a reproductive endocrinologist, preferably one of the CCRM physicians, <laughs> you know, and get a test of ovarian reserve and talk about, you know, some sort of reproductive planning and potentially even go through the process if that's something that is important to the woman. Again, it's all personalized. It's based on the woman. Awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. Like our goal, like we told you, our goal with TGL is to give people knowledge and you are just filling up all of our buckets. It is so cool. We just, I just feel really empowered that all of our listeners are going to be able to walk away from everything you've said today and just have a game plan or at least have the conversation, which a lot of us weren't having. So, okay. On TGL, Whitney and I have our favorite segment. It's called Yay and Nay with Whit and K. <laughs> and it uh -huh. is one thing that we're loving currently and one thing that we're not loving. And it could be anything. It could be the coffee you drank, a TV show, reproductive <laughs> news, anything that you want. Yeah. So what is your yay and what is your nay? Oh, I would say my yay right now is that I have finally completed my medical training. It's amazing. And Yay! to be joining and to be joining CCRM is is a dream come true. So that's my big yay now. <laughs> that is a big yay. If a we big had champagne, yay. I would cheers. <laughs> that is awesome. I've been, you know, I've been so happy since I completed and I've been so grateful to all my mentors and teachers along the way. And it is a dream come true to join this wonderful group of physicians. And I'm so thankful for that. So I've been, you know, elated for the past two months because of that. I actually start work next week, so I'm excited about that. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> it's my big movement. Thank you so much. And then my big nay would be, I don't know if you noticed how my voice sounds a little weird. I've, I've had three summer colds. Three summer colds. They are the worst. And yeah, right okay. now I'm just hating them. <laughs> <laughs> they last forever. Oh, they last forever. I've had three back to back to back. I feel like I've had a cold for the past four weeks. <laughs> oh, no. That's the worst. A big, that's my big nay right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good nay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, and the last thing we always ask all of our um, guests, it's what is the best piece of advice you've ever received from your best friend? I was, well... That's a tough one because I don't know that this is necessarily advice from my best friend, but just a friend along the way that I met. Um, and I think it was during the summer of 2005, I was doing a summer project and I met this lady who was doing a project with me. We became really good friends. Um, and I was freaking out because at the end of the summer project, I was supposed to present the results to a group of people, very knowledgeable people. And I was freaking out about giving a talk. 
<laughs> you know how it is. And then she says, well, you want to go into medicine, right? And I said, yes. And then she said, well, you're going to be giving a lot of talks and putting yourself out there a lot. So you better get used to it. So she said, and this is a piece of advice that I've taken with me over many, many years, since 2005 when I met this lady. She said, you need to, you walk into that room, you need to be able to read your audience, read your audience and then become comfortable with yourself. Yeah. And I've done that ever since then, you know, when I'm giving a talk, whether it's to the medical students, whether it's to my superiors, whether it's to my colleagues, whether it's just the podcast, you know, it's that ability to read the people that you're having a conversation with and then become comfortable in your own skin and be able to have that conversation and make it meaningful. And I've used that, thankfully. (laughs) Well, that's a great piece of it. It is. And I can tell you're super comfortable and confident with yourself. And it's, no, it's a great thing. I think it's so hard to do like going in front of people. It's not my gift necessarily. So, well, we are grateful for you coming on TGL and just sharing all your wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to constantly be thinking about my ovarian aging. (laughs) in a great way in a great way in a good way no in a good way yeah always put a positive spin on it (laughs) in a knowledge is power way we really appreciate you and the information you've given our listeners today and we thank you for coming on today thank you